from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Lord, long ago you inspired the writers of Scripture to share your story within this broken world. God, today we ask you to inspire us. Inspire us as we hear your story. Inspire us to share your story in this broken world. Give us courage to offer healing. Give us order in the midst of chaos. Give us compassion during callous times. Give us love in the midst of peace. But most of all, Lord, give us a desire to honor you and serve you. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of Isaiah 65 reveals God's vision to address the suffering and the despair and the hurt and the brokenness surrounding the people of God. The text invites us into the dark space of brokenness and reveals how God desires to transform this brokenness of ancient Israel. However, for us to understand the passage, we need to, in order for us to understand the power of the passage, we need to better understand the passage. This scripture describes a land that is in disarray. Judah has fallen, Israel has been conquered. The temple has been destroyed. Enemies have invaded the land. Communities are grieving the loss of loved ones. And citizens are mourning and longing for what could be. This is a place that is experiences the greatest parts of brokenness. Citizens have surrendered their lands but many are concerned because these citizens and people of faith are also beginning to surrender their faith. Many of the people during that time were starting to believe that there was nothing or no one that could stop the forward movement of their society moving quickly towards its own destruction. People were afraid. People were concerned. People were angry about all that was going on. They were wanting something to change, but change just never happened. They were hoping that the things that would go wrong would change and the things that would be better, but it just didn't happen. So what do you do? What do you do when you experience atrocity day after day after day after day? What do you do when you feel as if your prayers are going unanswered? What do you do? Many fell away from their faith. And it's to these people, it's to this audience that the writer offers this word of encouragement. It's to these people that the writer offers this message of hope. It's to these people that God invites to be a part of creating something new. Now in the text, we, uh, we hear about... Uh, the challenges going on during that time, 
Yes, as it was read, there were the shouts of terror going on in the streets. There were children living out only a few days of their lives. There were elderly that did not live out the wide span of their lives. There were all of these things of destruction that was going on. But while there was the physical damage that was going on, we knew that stones could be lifted from corpses, but the living, those were the ones that were trapped. It was the rocks of rage and the boulders of doubt that covered the living and that was stopping them from carrying out their faiths. So after the writer started to describe all of the different terrible things going on in the text, the writer began to paint this picture of what could be. And there's this very odd illustration that happens of a wolf and a lamb communing together. Earlier texts used different animals. We have a goat spending time with a leopard. We have a cow spending time with a bear. And obviously we have a lamb and a wolf confiding together. In, in each of these encounters that we found, find in the book of Isaiah, we see an individual who's being called to push back his or her natural desires to harm the other, and another individual that's being called to push back his or her natural desires to be afraid of another. And God is calling this group to this type of community. But my brothers and sisters, I know that this may sound good for lambs and wolves to spend time together, but I would imagine the first lambs that were invited into this particular vision might not be, have been so excited about it. Yes, yes. Are you crazy? I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. God's calling us to do something. Come on, come on. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Well, that could happen. Come on, brothers. Come to the meeting. That could happen. Come on. Let me talk to you. Yes. Yes. Bad choice. Bad choice. There's no way that I'm going to be with the wolves. Listen, God, just listen, listen, listen. God's calling us to a new vision. I, I know the wolves are treated as pretty poor. I knew that there have been challenges, but this is a new vision, a new possibility. Bad, but what if they eat us? Bad, what about the children yes. and the elderly? Yes, Bad, yes. what about all the times they hated us and they yes. tried to kill us? It did happen. We got our hands on them. Mm. There were these questions that were asked by the lambs. There was this doubt that was present in the lambs when they started to think about the possibility of this community. And while it's easy for us to imagine the concerns that lambs had with meeting with the wolves, I imagine that the wolves had their own concerns as well. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. They, they, well, we have done a lot of bad things. They might want to get revenge, but come on, listen, come on, man. Come on, come on. I'm so angry at them, I'll never be with them. You look angry. You look angry. 
Um, I think this wolf came in with, the, with the, looking kind of like a lamb there. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, God's calling us to a new vision, a new possibility. There's a need for us to be. Oh, but after all we've done to them, they're going to riot. What will they do to us? What about the children and the elderly? Yeah, yeah, that's a question. Ooh, what about our history? I'm still so angry at them. If I get my hands on them, ooh. <laughs> Silly way to talk about a very serious topic. Round of applause for our Lamb Slash Wolves. It is fun to imagine what could be or what could have been. Um, but they're deeper, they're deeper topics that are present within this passage that really cause us to wrestle with serious, serious questions as to what this new vision might be and might look like. In this text, the lambs and the wolves a call to think different, to live different, and to be different. And while there's a lot of thought about what happened in the past and what's going on now, they were being called into a new thing. And it's not just with the lambs. Definitely during the, the time of Israel, in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the chaos, Isaiah and people like Isaiah we're making a decision to create something new. In fact, scholars say that this text is significant not because it talks about an end vision. It's not simply talking about this end time. In fact, this is a text that's calling believers to examine themselves, and it's inviting them to be a part of creating a new world. It's evidence that, that suffering is not happening just because God doesn't care. Suffering's happening because the people of faith don't care enough to make a change. And this text is inviting us to be a part of the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In so many ways, the stories that I hear about the disaster, as far as these disasters in ancient Israel, remind me so much of the work that my wife and I are able to do or to be a part of in South Sudan. We are blessed so blessed to be with South Sudanese Christians who are living and working in the midst of complete brokenness. Some of you know that the Sudans went through more than five decades of civil war. And about five years ago, the southern part of Sudan split off and became a new nation, South Sudan, the newest nation in the world. Became the newest nation in the world, one of the poorest nations in the world, one of the nations with the least amount of, of education in the world, a nation with the least amount of medical care in the world, all these different things at one time. Brokenness. And while it was becoming a new nation, the church leaders came together to say, how do we address the challenges in this broken nation that we live in? So one of the initiatives was to create an organization called Reconcile. It's a partner for the Presbyterian Church USA. And it's an organization that is carrying out trainings in mediation and in counseling. South Sudanese Christians who are doing their very best to create something new. 
One of the programs, one of the programs of this organization is their Peace Institute, and that's what I'm specifically working with, the Reconcile Peace Institute. We bring together leaders from all over the nation, people from very, very difficult situations who have the opportunity to live together, to work together, to study together, to pray together, to conspire together as to how they can be a part of creating change, and then they go back into those communities. And it may sound good, but it's so hard. And I can remember on April the 11th, as I was sitting in my office having a conversation with a young man named Ojulu. Ojulu is from the area of Pochala. And Pochala is a community that is historically filled with conflict and violence. There's a fragile government there. There's ethnic differences there. There are issues with land resources that happen. There's a lot of fighting that happens in that place. And part of the reason that the fighting goes on is because many of the community leaders, if they feel it, if they're attacked, they invite the families to go back and to revenge or to carry out revenge on those that have attacked them. However, it was the church and particularly in this area, it was the Presbyterian South Sudanese who said, we believe that we can be a part of something different. So they sent several leaders to our compound for training. And one of those leaders was Ojulu Omo. And Ojulu came to me and said, principal, what do I do? This is the first time that I'd seen Ojulu since he had received news of the recent attacks in his village. Less than 48 hours ago, less than 48 hours earlier, Ojulu received the news that his village was raided, his possessions were stolen, and his father was shot. And he said very simply to me, if I was there with my gun, I would have hunted down those Merle tribesmen. And he was angry. He was angry at the things that he had lost. He was angry because he was trying to make a difference, but the same thing was happening over and over and over again. And he asked me, what should I do? And I said, I, I didn't feel like I had the, the authority or the experience to be able to tell him what he should do. So I asked him, what is it that you want to do? I'm willing to listen to you. I want to be here for you, but I need to know what is it that you want to do. For the next few minutes, he shared with me everything that he could share the frustrations, the angers. He thought through different plans of going back and attacking. He thought through different plans of possibly staying. We even explored the idea of he, the fact that he was sent to us because many people in his community raised money for his transportation. And then Presbyterian churches in the U.S. put funds together so that his tuition and his books and many other things were taken care of. So there was a lot riding on this young man. At the end of his conversation, he said, I want to stay here. Because if I go back right now, I'll just go back with anger. 
But if I return after the training is done, I'll have greater value to my father and to my community. I can be a part of helping the situation out. Day after day, Nancy and I have the opportunities to work with people, South Sudanese Christian, who are doing their very best to struggle with these hard questions in the midst of this broken world. Some of you may have seen the news that has come out about South Sudan within the last few months. If you haven't, you should know this. The situation has gotten worse. So much worse that when we arrived back in Atlanta, the first phone call that we made to our coworkers was with a friend that we work with that had been evacuated out of our compound. The place where we live, she had been moved out to a United Nations compound. She said on the phone, Shelvis, we don't know what's going to happen. There were rebel troops, opposition troops on the, on the borders of our towns, and there was a question of whether they might invade our town of Yeh. And I can just remember sitting on the phone with her. We were praying for her, not knowing what might happen to her, what might happen to our other colleagues. And as the weeks have passed, we, my wife and I have received update after gory update of challenges that the country has been facing. People who have been living in the bush, people who have tried to resettle their families in refugee camps. But what's so humbling about it is, when, I hear, when I've heard the news about what's going on, I found myself getting angry. Angry at the leaders for what they've done to the people there. Angry at the leaders for what they've done to our neighbors and our friends and the people we work with and the people our kids call their uncles and their aunts. But it's my colleagues in the midst of this severe brokenness who are working to get back to make a difference. I spoke to our executive director a few weeks ago and he was preparing to go have a meeting with the military leaders in the bush or in the woods in the hopes that that, that meeting might convince those military leaders to open the roads so that food could get into our town for the people who are trapped in, so that medical supplies could get in for them. Over and over and over again, I found myself and my wife, we find ourselves being so impressed with how they have struggled with, right? what it means to live in this broken world, to think differently, to live differently, and to be different. But you all know, questions of brokenness don't just happen in biblical texts. It doesn't just happen in faraway places. Am I right? Amen? 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 If we open our eyes or hear with our ears or experience the life that is around us, we will know that brokenness is right in our midst. For the last few weeks, for the last few weeks, Nancy and I have watched the news and we've seen article after article after article, headline after headline after headline of violence and shooting that's going on. Shootings that know no boundary of ethnicity, no boundary of gender, no boundary of age. Shootings that are happening in the streets, shootings that are happening in buildings, shootings that are happening in schools. Yesterday, I, I was looking through um, the articles for USA Today, and one title grabbed me. There's a title that, uh, about an incident that's happened in Anderson, and I know many of you all have been following the news of this incident, but the title said, Jacob Hall, boy shot 
on Townsville Elementary School playground has died. And I open the electronic page and it says the boy was a first grader. He was six years old. And then it gave the testimonies of his older brother talking about how he would miss him, his parents talking about the loss of their child. I thought, my God, what is going on? What is happening in this place? This world is broken. This nation is broken. This denomination is broken. This city is broken. It's around us. And when we open our eyes to see it and open our ears to hear it and feel the experience of it, it can be overwhelming. It has caused many of us to not only surrender our nation, but to also surrender our faith. It's caused many of us to question whether anyone or anything could stop the forward movement of our country going towards its destruction. It's caused many of us to question whether change should come even when we try and pray and hope that it would do so day after day after day after day. And it's to these people that this text is offered. God reminds us, God reminds us that before you speak, I'll listen. I will hear you. The earlier text of, of chapter 65, verse 1 through 2, it actually says, uh, it says this, God saying, I am here. Here I am. Here I am. Yes, before you call, I will answer. Yet while you're speaking, I will hear. It's a call for us, both corporately and individually, to be reminded that, yes, this world is overwhelming. This world is scary. There are things that make us angry and concerned and afraid. And by ourselves, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And there's a vision that God has called us to. Famed pastor and preacher Fred Craddock once said, many people are drawn to the church because they seek something greater, a more profound reality than what they experience on a day-to-day -day basis. The church loses its hope. The church loses the very essence of who we are. The church loses our understanding that we can be a part of creating something new. We have lost the purpose that we've been given in this world. So my sisters and brothers, I want to invite you today. I want to invite you and encourage you today to continue the questions, to continue the struggles and the discernment of how you can be a part of creating something new. And yes, I know there's a lot that this church has done. There's a lot that this church is doing. Whether it's working with our sisters and brothers who don't have houses and the great work that's done there in ministry. Whether it's working with this amazing children's ministry, right? Whether it's the work that you all have done through Habitat for Humanity or the ways that you work with medical people or the fact that you work with people who have fled their own nation 
and they've come here for refuge, and they're welcomed by this loving community. There's a lot that we can be proud of, but there's even more that we're called to. Amen. To question and to struggle. And I know as the days go on, as you all begin to vision cast for what the next steps will be, I just want to encourage you and remind you that what you do matters. When I was in South Sudan and I, and I received the news that, um, that Tony was uh, being brought in um, to, to serve at this church, when they had the ceremony, it was recorded, as you all know. You all have great technology here, right? But it was sent out by the Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian Great Atlanta. And, um, and I sat in our home, right? And I tried to stream the video because I was so excited about what's happening here. I was so excited about the past and the present and the future of this congregation. I, I set up, my wife was in her mosquito net, right? The power had gone out, so it was black in the room swatting flies or mosquitoes, trying not to get malaria. But I was watching. <laughs> and it was so encouraging to see the start of this next chapter. It's been so encouraging to hear the news about new leadership that's joined in with what's, being going, what's going on. You all have an all-star team. You know this. There's an all-star team here. But even more than that, there's a congregation that's excited about faithfully following God. So all the way in South Sudan, we were thinking about you, praying for you, and looking as to what your next steps will be. So I just want to remind you, yes, in this broken world, what First Presbyterian Church does matters. Yes, in this broken nation, what you decide to do matters. In this broken denomination, what First Presbyterian Church does matters. In this city, what you do matters. And it's not something that's done corporately all at once. Just like the first sheep were willing to step forward and be in community with the wolves, just like the first wolves were willing to step and be in community with the sheep, there had to be a few people that said, okay, I'll be the first one. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that there's a vision that's greater than me. And I'll step into that believing that there's something great that God can do through me. So my sisters and brothers, I want to offer you the message that was offered to the Israelites, our brothers and sisters in South Sudan, and to you right now. Think differently, live differently, and be different. Amen. As our benediction, I will offer words that are lifted up from our sisters and brothers in South Sudan on this World Communion Sunday. Shukran leta rabina fisama ashen kwespitak nihina. Thank you, O oh God, for your goodness to us today. Geni manihina, be with us. Rua manihina, go with us. Zamanihina rua fi dunia day. As we go into this world, anasailikulu fi isam Yesu al Messi. And we pray this and believe this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.